You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Happy to have you with us. You're going to hear from our whole crew today. Once again, Tyler Calvaruso will finish out this episode breaking down the latest Penn State updates from the NCAA transfer portal. Receiver position remains a hot topic. There were some names that we talked about earlier on Penn State's target board that have found homes elsewhere. We're going to bring you up to speed as best we can here on a Thursday afternoon. But we begin with Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallen rejoining us here on the show. You heard from them last episode, which, by the way, we spent a lot of time focusing on Penn State's initial transfer portal pickup of the postseason period. Alan Heron, an offensive tackle from the Division II level, Shorter University in Georgia. A lot of coverage on that at lines247.com. We're going to turn the page a little bit here uh, before we get to the portal talk again with Tyler Calvaruso. Basketball through 10 games. Bit of a progress report upcoming from Daniel and Mark, who have been on the scene for these matchups, the highs and the lows uh, through these 10 games under the uh, new regime for the Nittany Lions. But we're going to begin with focus on the regular season because, guys, we're about to go full throttle in postseason coverage. It feels like that really gets going on Friday. We're all back at Beaver Stadium. Uh, James Franklin, coordinators are going to be available to us. Uh, that includes Andy Kotelnicki. Uh, the new offensive coordinator, our first chance to, to speak with him since he was hired a couple of weeks ago. We don't yet know what it's going to look like at defensive coordinator, as far as I understand here on, on Thursday afternoon, uh, whether that's going to be an interim coordinator available to us, whether we're getting a Friday announcement surprise and, and getting something thrown at us. Um, but you guys correct me if I'm wrong. We don't have any any plans on the record. OK, so nothing planned yet for the defensive coordinator side of things. And we will get a bunch of players followed by a practice availability. We haven't seen this team on the practice field since November before their Black Friday matchup against Michigan State. There are a couple lingering availability questions that we have after that matchup in the Big Ten finale. And obviously, it's the time of year where young players are going to get a little extra run longer looks and you've got some new eyes taking looks at these guys in the field too so a lot to get in from the postseason perspective but let's begin with a regular season mvp conversation we're going to go offense defense special teams this is a con- kind of conversations i think we've we've progressed uh, and, and presented a few different ways in the last couple of weeks and kind of recapping how the season went who shined and really who stepped up down the final stretch but we begin here with offense, and Daniel, you had the first pick. We'll, we'll let everybody say who their pick was in the preseason and what pick you made that at because it's either one through three. There's only three of us. But, Daniel, you had a uh, bit of a layup here, uh, the first consensus All-American for the Nittany Lions since Micah Parsons did it in 2019. Uh, I'll spoil the fun and the surprise if there was one. Olu Fashionu was your pick for MVP, and we'll get going there. Yeah, I I tried to keep it simple uh, at, at number one. Uh, didn't really overthink anything. Of course, the individual counting numbers by a lot of the offensive skill position players uh, made this a pretty easy decision as well. Um, but I, I think that you just look at what Olu did this year. 382 pass blocking s- snaps, zero sacks, 10 pressures, according to PFF. Um, like you said, Tyler, consensus All-American. Um, was one team away from being a unanimous All-American. Uh, the Football Writers Association of America had him on their second team. Uh, that was announced earlier this week. Um, but the rest of the outlets, uh, Walter Camp, Sporting News, 
uh, AFCA and AP um, all had Olu as a number one. Um, he was the Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year, first team All Big Ten. Um, you just kind of looked at what he did this year, and I, I think that he came in with a lot of hype. Uh, we knew what he could have done last year if he had declared for the NFL draft, where he could have gone. Um, there are a lot of eyeballs on him and also some curiosity, uh, given that he came into this year, uh, with only nine career starts under his belt, um, at left tackle. So I think he really proved himself to be one of the top pass blockers uh, in the country. Um, right now, CBS sports has him ranked number three in its draft rankings. Uh, that's where I've seen him. You know, you look at any mock draft and he's definitely in that top seven, top five range. Uh, it's going to be really, really fun to follow uh, Olu throughout this this pre-draft process. So at number one, I kept it simple. Um, he was also my preseason pick. Um, I didn't put the number uh, where I got it in front of me, but I think he might have been number three um, in, yep. in the preseason. So um, kept it simple. And uh, I think that uh, this this one really bore out for me over the course of the year. I lied on the lead, and there's actually four of us who made these preseason <laughs> picks. Uh, Tyler Cavalrusso was included in that back in August. He's a little bit busy right now; can't step away to put these picks in. But we had uh, we had our three coming out of the season, so we're going to measure up against what we had. And and I had the second pick here postseason. I did have the first pick in preseason when I went with Drew Aller. Um, and as we've discussed a lot here, the, the, the numbers are very pretty. The consistency, though, I think was lacking enough to, to name him my MVP with the second pick here. Um, you know, a few games in that most important spotlight where it's under 50 percent completion rating, uh, some tough road starts to go. And, and I love that he finished on a high note. Uh, but but I think you're lacking the MVP defining moments along the way, despite the, the gaudy statistics that were put together overall. And you got to wonder how much was he hamstrung by ultimately what the offensive plan was because the offensive coordinator did not survive the season. But I'll land with my pick here, and I'm going to go Katron Allen uh, because when you were looking for some signs of consistency outside of Olu Fashionu and so, some guys in that offensive line, I thought you really had to look at Katron Allen on a week-to-week -week basis. There was a chunk of time late September, early October, where maybe he wasn't full strength. He suffered some kind of an injury that we didn't get any details on against Northwestern. But beyond that, he was a guy that, while he wasn't touching the ball 25 times a game, he was going to get 13 to 16 or more touches combined as a receiver and as a rusher. And as the season progressed, he just got better. And, and the, the numbers, as they showed up, looked a lot like they did his freshman year. He ended up being a second-team All-Big Ten pick among coaches, a third-team pick among media. He averaged at least 4.2 yards in 10 of 12 games on the regular season. He was over six yards per rush in four games after the bye week. And let's remember, this was a ground game that just could not get its rhythm going. And I think some frustration for that, guys, in hindsight is always going to be, what if Katron Allen had been a bit more involved in some of those moments because he just seemed to deliver when he got the football. But to his credit and to Nick Singleton's credit, they seem to be set up to reach a third year together. They're going to go to a second New Year's Six Bowl together first. And it's working. It, it, the production didn't work quite as well together this year. But, you know, all signs point toward them being able to build back up and, and kind of reclaim their status as a, a dominant duo on the national scene after, you know, kind of went awry a little bit compared to what we thought the expectations might be. But here's my MVP in Catron Allen. Yeah, after you spent uh, half of your time dogging my pick, Tyler, uh, I'm going with Drew Aller. And actually, I wanted to just follow up and say that your preseason pick was Drew Aller. Yeah, so you had Drew. Uh, listen, I, I get exactly what you're saying, but I also understand what James Franklin said after that Michigan State game. If you told all the coaches in the country that their quarterback would have those statistics before the season started, I think everybody would take it and run. Uh, so as a first-year starter, I thought he did some really good things. Those statistics, 23 touchdowns, one interception. I mean, that's unbelievable stuff. And I know a lot of people are going to sit there and say, well, you know what? The coaching staff gave him uh, you know, some, 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 uh, some game plans where he didn't have to take a, a lot of chances. His 23 TD passes with one game to go are, are already tied with Sean Clifford for the sixth most in school history. And the, the only people ahead of him who have thrown more touchdowns in a season, Trace McSorley did it twice, Daryl Clark, Matt McGloin, and Clifford. So, I mean, you're, you're looking – obviously that doesn't take into, got, into account uh, guys like Kerry Collins or Blackledge who played in a little bit different era 
where maybe they weren't throwing it quite as much as they are today. But I think for a first-year starter to come in and do what he did. And then the other thing is, and this may sound like a backhanded compliment, but it's not meant to be. He didn't lose any games for them. You know, his one interception came in a situation uh, against Indiana where they were in a very tough, tough position. And he followed that up by leading the game-winning touchdown drive. So, yes, I picked third, but I think I might have gone with him even second. I, I think Drew Aller did a really nice job. And, um, you know, with one game to go, I mean, it, it, it's unbelievable. I, I'm going back and looking at when we wrote this up. You know, he has only 410 pass attempts in his career, and he al- already has 27 touchdowns. I mean, that's just crazy stuff against one interception. So I thought he had a really nice year. Um, Arguments could be made about who the MVP is. I would have gone with Olu, obviously, if I had the first pick. Uh, But I think we can battle back and forth over who that number two would be. And my preseason pick, Keandre Lambert-Smith, where you know I think midway through the season, he was trending to a spot where he would have been in this conversation, and then he just fell off the map as the season went along. And it goes back to what I said in the preseason about him consistency. It's just not been there. This is a guy who has NFL talent and he just doesn't show it week in and week out. And, uh, you know, we'll see what the future holds for Andre Lambert Smith, but, uh, I was very comfortable with him in the preseason and obviously I wasn't right. Um, and, and, and by the way, you had that fourth pick before in the season. Tyler Calvaruso went singleton uh, with, with pick number two in the preseason in between my pick at Aller uh, and ultimately uh, Daniel going with Olu Fashionu at number three, who he, he went with at number one this time around. Um, I, I was surprised by the amount of pushback that your pick of Aller received on our message board. There were a lot of people who felt like it, it should have been somebody else. I, I think that was the right way. But um, some some other suggestions out there as we posted these picks to our site a couple weeks ago um, were, were the tight ends, Theo Johnson, and, and probably more people in the Tyler Warren camp because of, of doing it a bit more consistently in, in production standpoint, getting done as a blocker as well. And Caden Wallace got some love, which I don't think a lot of us would have anticipated back in August. And additionally, Hunter Norzat, I think people appreciated what he brought to the center role. But I think ultimately we, we land on the right three there. Um, and I, I think it's hard to argue with the first guy off that list. And well, to be clear tyler i just just to be clear when we do this we encourage people yeah absolutely we just don't want to put our opinions out there so anybody who disagrees and what i love is when people not only disagree but they explain why it drives me nuts when somebody says you know what you guys are completely wrong and then they they leave it at that if somebody comes in and says it should have been tyler warren or caden wallace or theo or hunter norzad I'd love it if they say that and then back it up. That's the point of doing these is to to create discussion because in this one, yeah, Olu was the slam dunk. But after that, the fun of it all is discussing it and debating it. Let's get over to the defensive end where there was a lot of debate. I mean, we've talked about it. The numbers individually are not reflective of what this defense was collectively. That's why you're, you you didn't see a lot of players, really not many come to mind at all, who were finalists for major individual awards on the defensive side of the football, despite ranking in the top three or top five and seemingly every single statistic that matters on that side of the football. I went with Adisa Isaac um, at number one here at, at the number one pick. Uh, for defensive MVP. And my reasoning was just that he did fill that stat sheet in a different way than other guys did. Um, and that's despite like many of them, not, not playing four full quarters for what felt like a first half of the season. Um, and I mean, you put together the, the total number numbers here for Adiza Isaac, uh, his 15 tackles for loss. That's almost double than anybody else. The next highest was eight among Nittany Lions. He had seven and a half sacks. That's three more than anybody else at the end of the regular season. And I think ultimately you saw complete validation on a guy who you understand what he's dealing with from a family standpoint, from a guy who was on campus for four years, spent one of those in rehabilitation mode. Uh, why he would have left last year, even if the first round, if it wasn't a first round or even a day two grade, you understand where the incentives would have been. And he told us before the Rose Bowl, uh, you know, that uh, kind of laid it on the table one way and, and, and then the other, and he chose to stay. Um, and what we saw here is is him absolutely 
you know, hitting a home run off that decision. I'm excited to see what the next few months await for him and excited to see what this bowl can maybe serve up. James Franklin talked about value being there. Um, you know, you go out and, and you collect some more tackles for loss in a high profile game like this. You're stacking those up in games against Ohio State and Michigan. He was a he was a force in the backfield. He was one of those guys who absolutely showed up on a big stage. So I think you can go in a ton of different directions here. I, I, I kind of had the uh, advantage of picking first because I was able to go with the guy who's mounted some stats compared to others. So I don't think there's a lot of wrong answers. Uh, there's a lot of right right answers on defense. And uh, the number two pick here uh, went over to Mark Brennan. Yeah, and you picked in the preseason. Uh, oh, that's Apple right. My What's that? My preseason pick, and I had the first pick in the preseason as well, was Abdul Carter, who – I think if you take the last month of the season, uh, yeah, he looked like the defensive MVP guy that we all expected. That's a beautiful thing coming at, at the tail end of his sophomore season. It bodes well for what we might see against him in a couple weeks down in Atlanta. But I just felt like those first two months of the season, while he was very solid and he was playing as much as anybody on, on the defensive side of the football, we just didn't see him flash in game-changing ways in the opposing backfield quite like we anticipated. He had six and a half sacks as a freshman, over 10 tackles for loss. He started to approach those totals with the big November, but I, I went with Adiza because it was from the first week to, to week 12 where it just felt like once or twice a game, you said, there goes that man. And Mark, you went with a defensive back and, and a lot of ways you can go in this defensive backfield. Yeah, not the defensive back I would have predicted in the preseason when I went with Kalen King. I mean, uh, I had the in the preseason, I had the third pick and I went with Kalen King. And, you know, instead I went with Johnny Dixon. And, and listen, the, the stats are are kind of unbelievable. You know, 26 tackles, 5.5 tackles for loss, 4.5 sacks, which as of this writing leads all defensive backs. I mean, it, it in the nation, it's unbelievable. Three pass breakups, an interception, a forced fumble. The guy did it all. I mean, he was all over the field, and that's why I picked him because I just think he kind of personified what that Manny Diaz defense was all about. You know, you go into the into your nickel or you go into the prowler package, and you use these defensive backs who who are one of the real strengths, the depth the depth of your secondary. And I just think he was good in coverage. He was good in run support. Uh, he was good at rushing the passer. I mean, 4.5 sacks is just unbelievable. And then, you know, when you break down the individual games to see what he did against Ohio State, uh, five tackles, two tackles for loss, a sack, and a pass breakup. I mean, that guy was out there doing everything you can do. His numbers against Michigan weren't as good, but none of the DBs were because if you remember at a certain point in that game, Michigan stopped throwing the ball. They just ran it and ran it and ran it and ran it. And then, you know, I also think that Johnny Dixon's attitude was kind of reflective of this entire defense, the swagger that he brought. You know, I, I'm not, I haven't always been one for trash talking, but that was something that kind of worked for this team. It, it was kind of part of, uh, uh, in its DNA for this defense to show kind of that attitude. So I just think his all around play, that attitude, doing everything that he can do. Uh, to me, uh, I went with him as my defensive MVP. Went with Kalen King in the preseason. Listen, he had a really good year, but when you get into that marquee matchup against Marvin Harrison Jr. and uh, in Ohio State, and and you don't play up to the ex your expectation, not our expectation, his expectation. You know, to, to me, I just find it hard to go with him as your defensive MVP over another defensive back where I think Johnny Dixon just had a better all-around season. I think Dixon has been slept on nationally, maybe even here locally for a long time. James Franklin has made that much known in a couple different occasions in press conference settings going out of his way to say people aren't talking enough about Johnny Dixon. We said it back in the preseason that it's probably going to take too long to to, for people to figure out how important he is for this defense. I think the one area where he won't be slept on is those NFL draft boards. I think there's a lot of confidence inside team facilities right now that he is going to be rewarded for how he developed and finished his career following that transfer from South Carolina a few years ago. And that'll be reflected on the draft board come next spring. Daniel, you're Mr. Consistent. You, you stuck with your preseason pick here, and no one's going to fault you for it. Yeah, it worked out uh, pretty nicely when when it came down to it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, at number three, I went with Chop Robinson, um, who I went with in the preseason. It was one of those things where having the third pick here, it, it just had so many options. You could have gone in so many different directions. And, you know, Wall Chop didn't have the, the counting stats like Adisa Isaac had. 
Um, you look at it and seven and a half tackles for loss, four sacks, five quarterback hurries, um, third team All America honors from the Associated Press, first team All Big Ten honors. Um, I think that some of that is a little bit of name recognition. Um, but I also think some of it has to do with actually watching how he played this year. Um, you look at how he was able to affect plays. Um, he was in the backfield a lot. I mean, I think that if the Penn State, if Penn State can put a little bit more pressure on Michigan and force JJ McCarthy to have to throw the ball maybe even five or six more times over the course of that game, I think that Trap Robinson can come up with a big play. I mean, he was, you know, on those eight pass attempts that JJ McCarthy had, uh, Chop Robinson was really, really making his presence felt. Um, and, and Michigan was really able to neutralize him after that. Um, but I think that you look at things like that, um, where he was just able to be a bit of a force. Um, I mean, I am a huge believer in actually having those stats. Like a quarterback hurry is nice, a pressure is nice, sacks are nicer. Because uh, that's a real negative play that has a tangible impact. Um, but I think that you look at what Chop Robinson did um, playing on that defensive line. I think that you could make the case that he probably made things a little bit easier at times for Adisa Isaac and and for Denied Anna Sutton, you know, for some of those interior defensive linemen. Um, and I think that you look at his talent as well. There's a good chance he's a first round pick. Um, in the spring. So I could have gone in a couple different directions and the wall chop Robinson didn't have those kind of counting stats. I think that if you watch the games this year and, and kind of, you know, looked at what he was doing on a snap to snap basis, um, I think it's, you know, it's, it's hard to overlook uh, what he was able to do. And the way that opponents appear to, to consistently view him as a threat and game plan accordingly, I mean, that's you're taking away a chunk of a game plan just off be your presence on the field. Uh, and and by the way, Daniel was very much aligned with Penn State on this. Uh, they had their postseason banquet this past weekend. Uh, their most valuable players for the team, Olu Fashionu and Chop Robinson. They they went a different route. They went also most valuable offensive player. They gave that to both running backs, Katron Allen and Nick Singleton, and their most valuable defensive player, Adiza Isaac. Let's go over special teams, and we'll let you know what Penn State picked uh, in, in just a moment, but we'll go with our selections first. And, Mark, we'll begin with you. It's a guy that we spent a lot of time discussing last episode because Riley Thompson is, was not a farewell tour. It was not a one-and-done situation here in the Big Ten. All of a sudden, he's just a junior going into next year with two years of eligibility ahead of him. That news coming from the NCAA, courtesy of Riley Thompson himself not too long ago, and he was your pick with number one a selection at special teams MVP. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned it earlier this week, he picked the wrong year to have a great season in the Big Ten. Uh, you know, I, I was when I saw that he wasn't didn't make any of the all Big Ten teams, I'm like, what is going on here? And then you look at the stats and you have Tory Taylor, who is the Bolitnikoff, not Bolitnikoff, what is it, the Ray Guy Award winner, and and rightfully so. And then Michigan State's Ryan Eckley, and then James Evans had some good times at Indiana. Sorry, that's probably something that you guys won't get. Uh, but those were three really good – look it up. But those were three uh, really good punters. And I actually felt terrible because Raleigh, Riley Thompson had a great year. 45.4 yards, 13 over 50 yards, 16 down inside the 20. And one of the things, 85 return yards on the season – you know, over an entire season. That's unbelievable. I mean, he just had a great year. And if his career had ended, he would have the second longest because we thought we thought maybe it was going to. I mean, he went out there for senior day. And that was actually amazing on senior day for people who didn't see it because uh, his family wasn't around. Tyler Elsden went out there to support him, which was really cool. But we thought that might be the end for him. His career average would have been the second longest in Penn State history. I also think what he was able to do in conjunction with the Penn State defense was so important for this team because it just gave them the field advantage, field position advantage in every single game. So Riley Thompson was my guy. There was some good pit. There were some other picks here uh, for sure, but I kind of felt bad that, that he was kind of iced out of the all big 10 awards. So uh, I went with him as my Penn State, special teams MVP and preseason. Alex we didn't pick him. Oh yeah. We, 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 we 
Uh, right, right, right. That's who right, would right. I have picked? Yeah, we didn't do them in the preseason, so I should have explained this. Yeah, we. So we had to go on the honor system of who you would have picked in the preseason. I organized. You, you this were very stuff. honorable. You yeah, were very honorable. I organized this stuff. I'm the idiot who didn't have a preseason pick for, but it would have been tough in the preseason because it was all new people. But yeah, I would have gone with uh, Alex Paqueta, and obviously, <laughs> I would have been wrong. Uh, you know, who he's he who is no longer with the team. He's he's down at Rice. Wish him the best of luck. Uh, but I think Penn State got the uh, obviously the right punter emerged for Penn State and did a really nice job in Riley Thompson, the Aussie. If Mark's right, and and, and we've been and you know overlooking Riley Thompson, I'm guilty of it because I, I assumed that uh, Alex Falcons was going to be the first name off the board here. And he ended up being the second one to you, Daniel, and well-documented what he has accomplished as a place kicker. I'll let you get into that. But when we look back and said, who would you have picked? You went with Sanders Sahadak, who was the guy who initially stepped up to the plate as the place kicker for this team. And it didn't last into the second half of the season opener. They turn to Falcons, the Columbia transfer, and he grabs a hold of it. Unfortunately, there's no more eligibility to be found here. He used the rest of it in Ivy League action. But, man, this is a, this, he deserves the platform, and, and I, you give him as much love as he needs because he was so important for this Penn State team. Definitely. I think back to the preseason and you looked at Alex Falcons coming in and it's like a it's an Ivy League transfer who's made two thirds of his kicks, you know, 66.7 percent. And that doesn't really jump off the jump off the page to you. And I think that the way that a lot of us viewed him was just as as depth to have that other reliable option uh, in there. We know how James Franklin feels about special teams and the emphasis that they put on it in terms of scholarship and, and roster allocation. So that's kind of how I looked at Alex Falcons coming in. But you, you look at the job he was able to do this year. Um, you know, he went from being a 66.67% kicker to 81.82%. Uh, I believe he was around 84% going into the season finale. He did have one miss um, at Ford Field against uh, Michigan State. Uh, he made all 45 of his extra points. He led Penn State in scoring with 99 points. I think that you just look at the job that he did in terms of uh, really seizing his opportunity um, and, and taking over that job. And I, I think that he did it in kind of a, a pretty unassuming fashion uh, where it was, you know, he had a couple miscues. Um, he had the, the blocked kick at Illinois. Um, there are a couple other misses sprinkled in there. Um, and so it was kind of like, like the way that I looked at it was he just offered them some stability um, as it went through. But then you got into mid-November and you looked at his body of work for the season and it turned out that he had a really, really nice year. And I'll admit that that snuck up on me uh, a little bit because some of those early miscues were were pretty high in my head. Um, but you know, I think that he did a really, really nice job. Um, and, and Penn State, they probably couldn't have asked for more from him. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how they approach this this offseason without Falcons. You have Sanders the Haydack back, Ryan Barker as the walk-on who redshirted this year, who I think that there's some excitement about and, and who did some good things. So um, it's going to be a, a tough one for Penn State to replace. But I, I think that uh, you know, you look at picking Sahadak in the preseason and seems like the the pretty obvious pick in terms of going down the succession from Jordan Stout to Jake Pinniger uh, to Sanders Sahadak. Um, I mean, I still think that Sanders Sahadak is a really, really talented kicker. I mean, you watch him during pregame warmups and he's bombing them in from 57, 58 yards, you know, no doubters. The ball sounds and looks different coming off of his foot. Um, but I mean, that consistency uh, is going to be the the big thing for him, I think, moving forward. And, you know, we saw that this year with Falcons, you know, Sahadak misses those first two against West Virginia. They put Falcons in and, and they never look back. So I think a really, really big testament to the to the work that Alex Falcons did this year, to the dedication that he really put in, um, you know, to to his craft. I, I think that that really paid off for him this year. One thing we, we didn't really get to see Falcons involved in because of the nature of Penn State games this year, where it felt like they were so far ahead that the fourth quarter was already decided or that they were trailing and they needed to go for two and they needed to come up with multiple multiple scoring possessions in a short time. 
they didn't get a chance to really send him out in, in a tight contest down the stretch. And maybe the Peach Bowl is the setting where, where we get to see that play out a bit more. Uh, the Indiana game, I, I, I don't want to shortchange that matchup. That one was tighter as things went down. But uh, Alex Falcons maybe have a chance to, to add one more feather in his cap in a couple of weeks before he moves on with his career. As Daniel noted, this is a spot that you're certainly going to be focused in on uh, for Penn State in 2024. Um, I went with a, a non-traditional specialist in, in the in the preseason. My pick would have been Nick Singleton because of just the, the murky situations uh, at both of the punter and and at place kicker spots. Um, and at the end of this thing, with those two guys off the board, Falcons and Thompson, who were, would have been easy picks for me if either one was on the board. I went with Daquan Hardy in half a season. Uh, he earned some you know, in some outlets all american honors uh for what he did in half a season as a punt returner uh, he earned all big 10 second team honors uh, as the specialist in this conference and i think he probably created uh, some new potential for himself in the nfl he's one of those guys who has a sixth year available to him because of COVID eligibility if you were to choose to remain on a college campus next year but you'd understand if you were ready to move on a four-year starter essentially on the defensive side of the football um and and 14.6 yards per uh per return that's number six nationally. Um, he had a big return against Ohio State. I know that he also had a kind of a gaffe at Ohio State where he let the ball bounce, but this team had nothing, no kind of a spark outside of that special, uh, that kickoff return for Saquon Barkley during this losing streak against Ohio State. He gave them a chance there on that possession. Um, and, and ultimately, I just think he was such a threat that it changed the way that that teams approached the punt return game with Penn State. So uh, Hardy's my pick there. Singleton would have been the selection in the preseason. And there's our fun exercise on MVP selections from 12 regular season matchups for Penn State. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Close the book on that and open it on Penn State basketball, guys, because you just spent some time with Mike Rhodes in a press conference here on Thursday. And, and you also had an opportunity to see this team about five, six days ago create a bit of a buzz. We didn't really think that buzz was uh, attainable uh, for a bit there of five game losing streak trailing significantly against Ohio State. And all of a sudden they come roaring back. We'll talk about the comeback in just a moment. But Mark. Through these 10 matchups, this team is 5-5. Five and five. Let's start with the most recent brush with the program, and that is this press conference. Notable takeaways that you guys encountered? Well, Rhodes was asked today twice uh, if uh, after the game, after the win over Ohio State, let me put this the right way. Um, he, he was basically asked if this could be a turning point of the season. He said, I'll let you know after practice later in the week. And he was actually asked the exact same question two times. And uh, I, I, I think it was notable. He's basically saying, yeah, we'll see. We, he, he hopes it is, but uh, you're going to have to wait and see. They get a, a good Georgia Tech team that's kind of been on a roller coaster ride at Madison Square Garden on Saturday. Uh, so we'll have a pretty good feel. You know, they're, they're not getting into their, you know, traditional pre-Christmas um, tomato cans yet. Those are coming up soon enough. But we're going to have a pretty good sense for for where they're going to be. But to me, that was just a gigantic win for them. 
you know, you, you win four in a row to start the season, then you lose five in a row, including uh, just a dreadful loss, a loss that he called embarrassing to, to Bucknell. And, and he was right about that. I mean, that was an embarrassing loss. And to not lose the team when you have so many disparate parts – all these new new players coming together, and for that for him to keep that together, and to beat a good Ohio State team. I mean, this is an Ohio State team that had won seven straight. Beat or its only loss was to Texas A and M. It beat Alabama. I think everybody knows how good Alabama uh, can, can be. Um, so to, to to be able to win that game in front of there was nearly ten thousand fans there, but it was a great crowd. I mean, they were into it from start to finish, even when Penn State struggled. I just think, you know, is this going to be, you know, an NIT type team? I don't, I don't think so. I think it's going to be an uphill climb in the Big Ten. And that's not a reflection of coaching. It's not a reflection of anything other than you have all these new players. But for him to be able to pull that together, and you could see the the smile on his face after the Ohio State game, and you kind of got it. And you can see in the players that they're kind of buying into this. And to set this sort of foundation, however the season goes, I think is just a positive. So the big takeaways from the press conference today are the fact that, yeah, he basically said, we'll wait and see if it's a, if it's going to be something um, that, that could be a turning point of the season. I can tell you this, if they hadn't won that game, you know, you, we wouldn't be talking about turning points whatsoever. And he also gave a, a couple of quick um Injury updates. Demetrius Lilly uh, should be back. He was sick, and it looked like uh, Favor, the the big man, has an opportunity to come back sooner rather than later, but I still think it's going to be close to a Big Ten play. Daniel, you had a story up over the weekend coming out of that victory on Saturday and the 18-point comeback um, about what could be a, a, a turning point. As we look back on it, we won't know. And then they've got to go out and play Georgia Tech at, at Madison Square Garden on Saturday. You will be there providing coverage for line247.com. I want to note that Daniel's going from our Bowl Media Day coverage in Happy Valley tomorrow, right over to New York City uh, to watch some hoops. So, uh, Daniel, when you look back at, at Saturday and, and, and you had a chance to, to hear from a lot of different members of the team when you sat down and wrote that story, what stuck out to you? Uh, a, a team that was assembled in a hurry during the offseason has played 10 games together. What did they maybe find uh, on Saturday? I think you saw a lot of really good fight from the team. And I think you saw a really, really balanced performance in that comeback. And I, I think that that's something that can't really be, um, you know, un- overlooked. Um, it wasn't just one guy going off um, to, to get Penn State back into that. They got a lot of different contributions to to put themselves into that position. I mean, you think about Kanye Clary was the leading scorer with, I think, 19 points in that game. But you go down the list and DeMarco Dunn had 16 points off the bench. You know, he looked you know like the, the caliber of player that uh, Rhodes and, and people have kind of teased that he can be. I mean, he was a, a top 100 recruit uh, coming out of high school, went to North Carolina initially. Um, is kind of adjusting to a new role and is getting used in different ways than he was at UNC. And he came out like a man on a mission off the bench. I mean, he had this one sequence where uh, he tried to dunk on Jamison Battle uh, in the open court. And it was the type of thing where he telegraphed it, I think, from the about when he was across midcourt that he was going to try to dunk it no matter what. Um, it, he ultimately didn't convert it. Uh, I think if he did, it probably would have been one of the more impressive plays I've ever seen. But I, I think seeing that kind of attitude from a player coming off the bench, uh, seeing someone you know being that deliberate, um, that really stood out to me. You know, Leo O'Boyle, I think we saw the he was four or five from three, scored 15 points. I think that's kind of what Rose was expecting to see. That's what we were all, all kind of expecting to see. And it added a different dimension. You know, Zach Hicks had a really, really nice game, hit a couple big shots. And then Ace Baldwin, uh, in the second half, just had a really, really nice 20 minutes of basketball. He hits the go-ahead three-pointer. Um, I think he looked down the stretch of that game, he kind of looked like the the East Baldwin that was maybe promised or that was expected to see uh, here at Penn State. I know that there is a little bit uh, of an adjustment for him. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Mike Rhodes said that he needed Ace to be better. Um, today, he said that he has seen Ace be better since he said that. Um, and I think that that really showed down the stretch. I mean, I think that Ace Baldwin is a kid that 
definitely believes he's going to win every game. Uh, definitely believes he's going to make every shot. Uh, you know, definitely believes that his team should win every game. And I think for him to take that big shot and hit it, I think that's a good kind of signature moment for a newcomer to a program. And I think it's something that can, can really set the tone. So I think seeing my big takeaway coming out was seeing that kind of balance from the team in the comeback and just seeing that fight, seeing those intangibles. I mean, I think that sometimes those things can get overrated, but I mean, they were down 18 in the second half. You're on a five game losing streak. You just went to overtime a couple of days earlier and lost at Maryland. I don't really think anyone really would have faulted them for packing it in uh, and kind of looking towards this game against Georgia tech, but they didn't do that. Gets them in the win column one and one in big 10 play and something they can hang their hat on moving forward. Prior to what proved to be a bummer of a trip to Florida for Thanksgiving weekend, Penn State opened 4-0 with wins over Delaware State, Lehigh, St. Francis of Pennsylvania, and Moorhead State. And Mark, what kind of factors were involved with that 4-0 start? Was it was it strictly just a schedule? Uh, the, the 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 kind of the the first rung of the ladder of, of the season was just that easy? Or were there things in that first four-game sample size that you feel like got away from the program during the ensuing five-game losing streak? The Ken Palm ratings for Delaware State, uh, 295, Lehigh, 283, St. Francis, 351, Moorhead State, 151. So you were playing terrible opponents. I mean, with all due respect to those teams, I mean, Moorhead State isn't terrible. I shouldn't say that. But you know, I, I think against those teams, I remember the St. Francis game where they forced, what was it, Daniel, 25 turnovers or something ridiculous. I mean, they were just so much more athletic that they they could get away with anything. And Mike Rhodes told us this. I mean, he said if they don't pick it up going down to that Florida tournament, and I'm I'm paraphrasing here, I forget the exact words, but it was something like, yeah, we're going to, you know, we're going to get destroyed if we, if we don't, if we don't pick up the pace. So I think what happens is they get in that game against Texas A&M, which, you know, the uh, team Penn state beat in the NCAA tournament. It's that's a good team. That's a legit team. Number 23 by Ken Palm right now, they were ranked in the top 15 at the time and played really well for most of that game before they end up losing, it was 89-77. And I think that just deflated the team. I think it just took everything out of them because then they followed up and just didn't play particularly well for the next four games, including that loss to Bucknell. I shouldn't say that. They actually played relatively well against Maryland other than being dominated in one key area, which is rebounding. So uh, we can look at this a couple different ways. Number one, or three different ways, actually. Number one, the quality of opponents went way, way, way up. I mean, Texas A&M, 23, Butler, uh, 61, VCU, 92. Bucknell was way down there, their first loss to a sub-300 team, 308. And then Maryland, 69. But what do the, most of those teams have in common? They're all good teams. They're all teams that are going to be vying for the postseason outside of Bucknell, obviously. So that's 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 one part of it. But another part, I think, was that Penn State was just kind of emotionally spent. And Ace Baldwin, to, to me, was the perfect example. I mean, after that game against Ohio State, or before the game against Ohio State, um, Rhodes said to him something along the lines of, well, let me pull it up here, because it, it, to, to me, this, this really stood out. He said, today I just said to him, let it all out. We're in this together until April. This is what Rhodes said to Ace Baldwin. So just figure it out and quit everything else, and let's just see what happens. And I think you saw that not only out of Ace Baldwin, and I think that's – when you see a leader just play free and easy the way he did in the second half, th that's kind of you know how it works. I mean, it, 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 it kind of trickled down to everybody else. But then the other part was just playing terrible, terrible defense. I mean, the defense they played against Bucknell, it was absolutely horrendous. Just, you know, guys just not trying. And against Maryland, they picked it up. And then against Ohio State in the second half, they fought and battled and scratched and clawed. And, you know, you end up giving up 80 points, but that's in overtime. But so I think all those things together, there's no easy answer. And that's why I, I I give Rhodes a lot of credit because it would have been if if any of those things don't quite work out against Ohio State, if you don't come back and rebound much better in the second half, if you don't play better defense, if if you're not more emotionally prepared, 
you're not going to win that game. But they, they those things did come together. Now let's see if they can stack it one after another. Daniel, as mentioned, uh, this is a team that came together the, together in a hurry. There was not a lot of time to assemble it, and it's uh, some misfit toys, I guess you could say. You're trying to figure out what you have in this, and you don't have much time to do it because Big Ten play really ramps up in a couple of weeks. So when it comes to trends in the lineup, whether they're working or they're not working, what are you most intrigued by based on the 10-game sample size and, and what you're going to see on the court Saturday come noon tip-off in MSG? Yeah, I, I think that we, we've kind of seen what Rhodes likes to do and, and how he likes to work things uh, with his lineup. Um, you know, We see Kanye Clary and Ace Baldwin start together, um, and then from there, their minutes get staggered out, so one of them is on the court at all times. And I think that we saw when Kanye Clary got banged up down in Florida that they don't really have a, a number three ball handler, um, so one of them does need to be out there. Um but you, you know, I mean, Rhodes goes to his bench early. Um, you know, he's playing pretty much, I think, nine deep, sometimes going 10 deep, depending on um, who's healthy. Um, and he rotates guys in. I mean, you'll see DeMarco Dunn and Nick Kern come in uh, before the under 16 media timeout sometimes. Um, he's got a lot of different guys at his disposal that he can rotate through and, and try to put in, in different positions. So I, I think that in terms of the lineup and, and things coming together, I, I think that Puff Johnson is someone to really keep an eye on. Um, I think Mark asked uh, Rhodes about him t- earlier today um, in terms of how he's coming along and what's and what Rhodes wants to see out of him. Um, and, you know, Rhodes talked about, you know, it was very complimentary of him um, as a leader, as a veteran, um, as someone who, who really cares a lot about things. Um, and I think that he's someone too, that kind of falls into the category of someone that, Rhodes wants to play a little bit more free and kind of cut things loose a little bit more. Um, but I, I just think that this lineup is they, they've gotten good contributions from almost everyone at, at different times. I mean, before he got hurt, Jameel Brown was shooting 61% from three um, in that Maryland game. I, I know that he fouled out and not a lot of minutes, but I thought Demetrius Lilly uh, gave some really active and, and good minutes underneath um, in, in relief of Caduce Wahab. Um, on a night when you know, Penn State dealt with a lot of foul trouble. Um, and then you, you talk about Kern, Dunn, o- O'Boyle. I mean, all of these guys have really kind of taken their turns. And I think the, the key for Penn State uh, to really have some success in the Big Ten is, is going to be to get a lot of these guys to kind of click in you know, on the same nights together. Um, I think that the Ohio State game, you kind of saw that with the amount of guys they had in double figures and then someone like Ace Baldwin who didn't reach double figures, but was able to step in and hit the big shot at the right time. Um, I think that that's kind of what what you're looking at, too. And at this point, 10 games, you're a third of the way through the season with all these new parts, all these different pieces coming together. I think this is when you should start to see things kind of click in a little bit. Daniel Gallen, Mark Brennan, appreciate the perspective on Penn State hoops and Penn State football. We're going to get into the transfer portal talk now with Tyler Calvaruso. I'll see both of you over at Beaver Stadium on Friday morning. Thanks, Tyler. Do it. See ya. Uh, As I said, we've got uh, Beaver Stadium to check into uh, for not just James Franklin, but the coordinators. we got players, and Andy Kotelnicki is among those coordinators, a new man on campus. Uh, So check out our coverage on Friday. Uh, and really deep into the day, we're going to be out for a look at practice uh, late in the afternoon, early evening. So we'll have our post-practice report up along with photos uh, from that event as well. Right now, it's time to talk Portal with Tyler Calvaruso. I mean, we could probably just do a daily podcast, uh, a 15-minute really of what we're hearing on the Portal. But we appreciate you for setting things aside momentarily, jumping on with us again. And full disclosure, it is 2.30 p.m. on Thursday. I feel like it's always important to give the timestamp these days when we are discussing the transfer possibilities. Oh, it definitely is, man. I wouldn't be shocked if pump something popped up, something notable popped up while we're recording here right now. It's just the way it's been going. But it's a fun time of year. It's a busy time of year. And, you know, Penn State staff, they're busier than anyone. 
Yeah, and and before we get to some names that are very revel relevant right now and, and on that target board, let's get to some that are no longer such because of uh, dynamics that have changed. And we'll begin on the defensive side of the football before we start talking wide receiver, which I know is the hot topic right now among Penn State fans and for Penn State in that facility. And Aeneas Peebles is a name we discussed, a defensive tackle out of Duke. We had referenced that not too long ago. They brought in Derek Tangelo, an eventual Nittany Lions starter, from Duke as a transfer player. Well, it appears we can cross Peebles off the list of possibilities, Mr. Calvaruso. Yeah, he put out a top five yesterday that did not include Penn State, and he won't be visiting this weekend. Well, the one thing that was interesting to me about that top five was actually the lack of inclusion of Duke, because we'd have been hearing that Manny Diaz, Penn State's old friend Manny Diaz, had a good chance to keep Peebles in town. Duke wasn't included in that. I still think Duke has a chance there with Peebles. Not quite sure what's yeah, going but, on. Yeah, but Tyler, come on. What, what, if you were going to surprise people and go back to Duke, would you put the Duke logo in your top five? No. <laughs> no, you would You would put nah. five other logos on that top five, and you'd say, you know what? I'm going to put up the Wolf of Wall Street clip on Twitter. And, and that's how people will handle that situation. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I love that reference. But uh, nah, he's not going to be visiting Penn State this weekend, and I guess Penn State can essentially be ruled out at this point. So it's back to the drawing board on the defensive line, and there's still plenty of time for Deion Bars to make an impact addition there. You know, Penn State's not concerned about where things are at on the defensive line when it comes to portal recruiting right now. Without further ado, I've got five receiver names in front of me oh, to work boy. our way through. The first couple, though, are now committed elsewhere. Dion Burks, the Purdue uh, former Purdue standout, is now committed to Oklahoma, was making their move to the SEC. And then Jamori Macklin, who we discussed out of uh, North Texas, cousin of uh, former uh, NFL standout. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Jeremy, <laughs> I Jeremy Macklin. There you go. Um, he has also made an announcement committing to Kentucky. And Macklin was a guy that, based on our conversations here, and you've talked about it on the podcast, he was an early priority. He ultimately did not make it to the point where he got on a flight to, to, to State College. Yeah, it's a loss for Penn State. You know, Penn State, the staff liked him, and he was desired. You know, he picked up an offer from Penn State pretty early when he hit the portal. I believe Penn State was one of his first offers, at least one of the first offers that he publicly reported. And, you know, the staff worked hard to get him to campus for a visit. James Franklin made it down to Missouri to visit with Macklin directly. It just didn't come together. You know, we had been reporting a lot of SEC buzz surrounding Macklin really from the start. So him picking Kentucky coming out of a weekend trip to Lexington – didn't really come as an overwhelming shock to me. I always thought if it wasn't going to be Kentucky, I thought another SEC program had the best chance, not a specific program in general, but just the buzz was surrounding majority SEC programs. So Macklin to Kentucky didn't really come as a surprise to me. Deion Burks to Oklahoma didn't really come to a surprise as me either. You know, the destination maybe came as a little bit of a surprise because I initially I had not been hearing Oklahoma. That kind of came about later in that week, and then he get, makes it down to Norman for a visit and Oklahoma seals the deal. Originally it seemed like Oregon and USC were the two most heavily involved. Penn State liked Burks. You now they were involved with him early. Nothing really ever got going. I don't think he really reciprocated the interest at a high level. So those are two wideouts who Penn State was at the very least involved with going elsewhere. And Macklin returning to the SEC, started his career at Missouri, where his cousin Jeremy, now I know the name, uh, once was a star. Uh, so two names that we can move on from their receiver, and, and one that just steeps remaining front and center for us is Julian Fleming. It feels like we're back in early 2019, and, and the kind of volume that we're talking about Julian Fleming right now in the last week or so since he hit the transfer portal out of Ohio State after four years with the Buckeyes. Fleming and Kyle McCord, very much a lot of attention on those two as a potential package deal of sorts to the Nebraska Cornhuskers entering the week. Those visits have happened. There's now new development on where things stand with those two, and it's obviously going to have implications on where things are with Penn State and Julian Fleming. Yeah, so let's just run through the timeline really going back to Wednesday morning. You know, Fleming made it to Lincoln for his official visit with Nebraska on Tuesday. Nebraska buzz was starting to pick up at that point. What early parts of Wednesday was really at an all-time high. You know, Nebraska was seeming like a pretty appealing destination with Kyle McCord still in play. It was mentioned to me that, you know, while they weren't necessarily always locked in as a package deal, the thought process of going to a Big Ten program with a quarterback that he is already familiar with and, you know, knows through, from his time in Columbus and playing in an offense where he would be more of a focal point 
that carried some appeal. It definitely did. But then Wednesday night, you know, the news breaks that McCord and Nebraska are no longer a thing, and that's not going to happen for the Huskers. And I do think that has played a part in where things have gone with Fleming since then. I've said it on our board. I don't think Nebraska is dead with Fleming yet, but all the buzz I've been hearing really since last night and trickling into Thursday morning and afternoon, we just had an update on this online 24-7 early afternoon. I like where Penn State is at with Fleming. I think that, you know, and really at, at first it was more of a slight edge. I think the gap has kind of grown a little bit. So I really like where Penn State is at Fleming right now. You know, I don't know timeline-wise what Fleming might be thinking. I don't know if any new suitors are going to pop up. You know, maybe that happens, but I can't say either way right now. But I can say based on the conversations I've had, I think Penn State's in a pretty good spot to land Julian Fleming at some point. And Tom Loy of the 24-7 Sports put it out there as the Nebraska stuff came into focus that Syracuse may yeah. be a player for Kyle McCord now who started every game during the regular season for the Buckeyes. Uh, really an interesting situation playing out uh, as those guys leave Columbus, particularly at the quarterback spot. Um, so Fleming remains a focal point of our coverage at lines247.com. Um, I suppose it's safe to leave it there for right now. But if anything changes before we end this recording, Tyler Calvary, oh, yeah. don't be bashful. Um, let's move on to the other name that has become more familiar to Penn State fans of late. Andre Green Jr. Uh, spent his first couple seasons at North Carolina, took a red shirt along the way, did not rack up big stats. I, I saw Green put out some practice highlights. You can see how he might create a buzz in team facilities uh, and, and where there might be some excitement of, about a guy who was – just outside the top 100 overall in the 24-7 sports recruiting rankings for the 2022 class out of St. Christopher's School in Richmond, Virginia. Now that he's a few days removed from spending time in Happy Valley, what are we hearing on Andre Green Jr.? And what are we hearing about Penn State's view of Andre Green Jr.? Still a lot of positivity surrounding Green Jr. and what Penn State feels it accomplished with him during his official visit over the weekend. The Penn State staff likes him. If he wants to hop on board, he'll have a spot in Marcus Hagan's wide receiver room. You know, Green Jr. is going to be at Virginia for an official visit this weekend, and I don't think that's one that can be discounted. I think, you know, there's some appeal there for sure for a multitude of reasons. You know, one, it's an in-state option for him. He's a Virginia native, University of Virginia, opportunity to play close to home. There's something there. And the Virginia staff has really, really prioritized Green Jr. since he hit the portal. I believe they've gone in home with him multiple times since he's been in the portal. So I think that we kind of just need to see how that visit plays out. You know, there's a lot of positivity surrounding Penn State right now with Green Jr., but I really want to see where things are at after that Virginia visit because I do think it is a pivotal one given the ties that I just mentioned. Uh, what's the sell for Green Jr. when it comes? And I know you're being asked this on our message board pretty relentlessly, but with Green Jr., if Penn State is to prioritize bringing him in and it's a fit for his end, and maybe he's the first wide receiver to, to come on board with this transfer class, maybe he's the second wide receiver, who knows? But if Green is in, uh, in the fold for 2024, he's a guy who's going to bring to town five career catches for 43 yards down at UNC. Last year, you look at the transfer pickups they had. Dante Cephas was a two-time All-Mac performer pre previously at Kent State. Uh, you had Malik McLean uh, started, I think, seven or eight games as a freshman at Florida State, ended up catching about 40 passes during his two years in a Seminoles uniform. What are you hearing as the sell, and, and how would you kind of package that to Penn State fans who are saying, you need proven commodities at wide receiver. We already have enough of these second- or third-year players who haven't produced at the Power 5 level. Yeah, and I understand that notion, but there are a couple of things. I mean, Penn State has a type at wide receiver, and Green Jr. fits that. You know, the frame is impressive. There's elite level of athleticism to his game still. I know, you know, it didn't translate to production at North Carolina, only five catches, 43 yards, and, you know, a touchdown. So people look at that and wonder where the desire comes from. It's the frame, and it's an upside play, too. You know, and I, I, I definitely get the Penn State the portion of the fan base that is like, oh, well, we need instant impact guys. And we we touched on this a little bit Tuesday. I just want to circle back. So, you know, there is room for multiple receivers through the portal to be added to the room. You know, that that's part of the discussion. And so there is room for more of an upside play. You know, it, since we've been talking about possible multiple additions at the position, Penn State feels, you know, we could add a guy like Green Jr. who maybe hasn't produced at a high level yet, but it feels it could get him to produce at a high level. Now, we're talking about a former nearly top 100 recruit. So the, the upside is definitely there. I mentioned the frame. I mentioned the athleticism. 
pre-existing relationship with the staff dating back to his high school recruitment. So Penn State feels pretty confident about what Green Jr. could accomplish if he were to come to Happy Valley. So I would say that's the point of intrigue for the staff right now. And again, just because you go out and land Green Jr., hypothetically, if he were to come to Penn State, if you go out and get him, that does not shut the door on other more established receivers. It's just kind of a different level. You know, if it's not Green Jr., if he decides he wants to go to Virginia or somewhere else, maybe Penn State goes out and targets another upside play at the position. So we're going to have to see what happens with Green Jr. in the end, but that's probably the point of entry for the Penn State staff right now, just that upside because he's got it. And he's not coming from an offense that was totally lacking talent. And, and man, he failed to step up in an offense exactly. that had nobody. Uh, this is a wide receiver room where, you know, Dante Cephas finished second among Penn State receivers this regular season with 22 receptions. They had four receivers get at least that many receptions, including three of them who had 39 plus catches on the season. They had a running back in Omari and Hampton that I think people you know, around Penn State will remember well from his recruitment process. He went for 1,400 yards on the ground, 15 touchdowns. And then Drake May, the, the quarterback of this offense, is in contention to be one of the top players off the 2024 NFL draft board. So he's coming from a situation where it just, I guess the snaps were not available to him in an offense that was overall very efficient and, and quite explosive on its best days um, coming into a room now where there's very little proven uh, at the wide receiver spot if he were to make that move. But he's a guy, like you said, you're going to balance the addition of, of, of a developmental prospect with a proven guy. That would make a lot of sense, uh, and then he would fill one of those slots. And, and Colby Young is another name that has now surfaced on the receiver conversation, and it, it has some familiarity here. He's, he's out of Miami in the transfer portal, but he's got a bit of a backstory that will make a lot more sense in just a moment, I think. Yeah, New York native who started his collegiate career at Lackawanna. He spent a year there. So, you know, he's already familiar with Pennsylvania, and we all know how familiar Penn State is with the Lackawanna program. So, you know, there's a tie there. And, you know, two years at Miami, 79 catches. He was an impactful player for the Canes. He had 47 catches this past season. Again, we mentioned that Penn State kind of has a type at wide receiver. He's another one of those big-bodied guys. He's listed at 6'5", 215. He could really go and get it on the outside. So we'll see if a visit comes together. You know, nothing is locked in or solidified on that front yet. But uh, he popped up this morning as a potential name of intrigue for Penn State. Yeah, Lackawanna, no stranger to that program around these parts. Of course, you've got J.B. Nelson uh, starting left guard on the current offensive uh, front, but you've got uh, Jaquan Brisker, um, Jair Brown, of course, and Anthony Wigan in the past, an offensive lineman. Norvell Black was a wide receiver who came here, didn't work out for him. Uh, This is someone who has left Lackawanna, done it at the Power 5 level, and is now searching for another fit. We'll see if Penn State uh, emerges as a contender there with Colby Young, if that's something they're going to do. And and with the wide receiver spot – does it feel like there's going to be movement sooner rather than later? Because obviously the dangerous game to play right now in the transfer portal is to stay stuck on a target or two and watch the world move on around you. What does it feel like the urgency looks like for Penn State at receiver here on Thursday? Tough to say because, you know, a lot of these recruitments are fluid when it comes to guys might be coming decisions. I mean, Fleming, I don't know when he's going to announce point blank. I could not tell you when he's going to come to a decision at this point. Green Jr., similar deal. You know, he's got that Virginia visit coming up, but Ryan Doan has reported multiple other schools are involved with him as well. So maybe he decides he wants to carry things on a little bit longer and check out those schools when the opportunity arises. I think, you know, Penn State would prefer to add sooner rather than later because that opens the door for getting guys – to campus for the spring semester and, you know, getting them in town earlier. And that's always a benefit, right? You know, the earlier you can get these guys and get them involved and get their nose in the playbook and get them in the weight room. It's a benefit. They had a spring ball. There's no doubt about that, but it's not also going to rush to add if it doesn't feel the fit is right. I mean, we've mentioned Jalen Lucas, you know, they're in a good, they, they put themselves in a good spot with him during his official visit, but they're not in a rush to get that one done. Right. So, you know, there's no, they're not going to make a move for the sake of making a move. If one comes along, it's going to be on you know their accord. They're going to make sure it's a right fit on and off the field. So sooner rather than later is preferred. But if it drags out a little bit longer, you know, in favor of getting the right prospect, I don't think anyone will have a problem with that at Penn State. Our message board is, is starting to get in, in, in dire need of yes. either a new defensive yeah. coordinator or a wide receiver commitment out of the transfer portal. One of those things uh, can give people a little bit merrier of a disposition, but uh, you'd understand why Penn State wants to play both of those processes out at its own pace. And we talked earlier this week uh, about the offensive tackle edition, Alan Heron, 
uh, out of the shoulder university from a division two level. What is that going to look like with three years to play two seasons in Happy Valley, starting off with upcoming January enrollment? And as you mentioned, there was another name to know, a, a, a certainly a more relevant name in terms of the possibility of being a plug and play prospect at tackle. What's the latest on that? Yeah, Chase Basantis. And, you know, really, it's kind of a unique opportunity for Penn State. I feel like those plug-and-play offensive linemen, they don't pop up a whole lot in the portal. You know, a lot of linemen who hit the portal are either – you've got two types. You've either got the veteran type, you know, the graduate transfer who has either a year or two of eligibility remaining, or you have the underclassmen who are searching for more playing time and, you know, staffs add them on an upside play, kind of like Heron is coming over from the Division II level. Basantis isn't just a plug-and-play veteran with, you know, multitude of experience at the Power 5 level. He's got multiple years of eligibility remaining as well. So there's a reason why pretty much every elite program in the nation wants him and why his recruitment is so hotly contested pretty much from the second he hit the portal. You know, Brian Dung did a great job of breaking the news of Penn State's involvement with Basantis early. And a big talking point there has been the relationship with offensive line coach Phil Charlotte dating back to when Basantis was at Don Bosco in North Jersey. That relationship's in a really good place. And really, Penn State is hoping that that relationship can help it be a big-time player in this recruitment moving forward. They would love to get him on campus this weekend. You know, that's, again, that's another thing that's not confirmed or solidified yet. That's still coming together. And there are a lot of other programs that would like to get Basantis in town this weekend as well. So we're going to have to see what comes about on that front. But when it comes to the top of the portal wish list overall at multiple positions, I mean, a guy like Basantis has to be at the top when you take into account the level of talent, the remaining eligibility, the potential impact immediately right off the bat in 2024. He's definitely one of those guys who falls in the most wanted category. Last winter, uh, Basantis was ranked a top 100 overall prospect out of Don Bosco Prep in, in northern New Jersey. Now he is ranked a top 10 overall transfer, and, and that list is getting long. These rankings are starting to add some serious yeah. talent. He is number eight overall, number one among offensive tackles. So you want to talk about a big fish at, at a priority position. Uh, this is one, and, and as long as Penn State remains a contender here, we'll continue to keep him inside that conversation. Tyler, anything else we need to tack on to the transfer portal discussion before we say goodbye and, and let you get back to work? Not yet. Might have to, I mean, <laughs> me and you might have to have a conversation via text or phone call in about a half hour, depending on how things play out. We just don't know. You know, We're monitoring everything very closely, always trying to dig up intel, and whatever pops up, it'll be on the Lions 24-7 board. I can tell you that for sure. All right. Appreciate the hard work, man. We, we look forward to seeing what comes next for Penn State. This week has produced a commitment. Might a second be around the corner. Uh, Penn State's certainly working on a lot of avenues, and you are too. Appreciate your time. Appreciate you having me back on, man. Good stuff from Tyler Calvaruso. Before him, our other lines, 24-7 teammates and Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallen. A couple episodes in the book this week. We are back next week with some fresh episodes. Between now and then, be sure to check out lines247.com for the latest in Penn State's activity in the transfer portal and their tune-up toward the early signing period, which gets going next Wednesday. So significant day to celebrate this 2024 Penn State recruiting class. Doesn't project to be a lot of drama next week, which I'm sure James Franklin is happy about. Um, but the portal will be raging throughout that process. And uh, Penn State trying to figure things out from a personnel standpoint in 2024. is trying to figure things out from a staff point standpoint as well. The search for the defensive coordinator to replace Manny Diaz is ongoing as well. So stay tuned to Lions247.com when breaking news happens. And while we work our way toward breaking news, we'll have the latest over there. And we're back at Beaver Stadium on Friday for Peach Bowl Media Day. So check out all of our coverage and content coming out of that, along with a look at practice on Friday afternoon. For now, stepping aside, I am Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.